don't believe in much physical punishment. It is appropriate on occasions, but there are all kinds of other things you can use. And besides, you don't want to use that kind of discipline when kids get a little bigger. <laughs> you can get into real trouble squeezing the trapezius muscle of high school students. In fact, folks, the general rule to follow is, if you can't reach it, don't squeeze it. <laughs> I said this is not limited to physical punishment by any means. Let me give you an example. I bet you many parents here have the problem we had when our daughter was in the fifth grade. She got up in the morning, usually a little bit late. And uh, Danae is, you probably don't have this problem, Danae is super compulsive about her room. She's very proud of it, and she's got it all fixed up with all her stuff, and she will not leave in the morning until everything is in its place. Bed made perfect, all the stuff away, drawers shut. Ryan does not have that problem, I, I'd say. But Danae uh, feels that way about her room, and because of that, she'd get up late, work slowly, and then would not be ready to leave on time. And here comes the carpool group, and she's not ready. And so what's Shirley going to do? Shirley's chasing around after her and saying, Danae, it's 10 minutes to, and you haven't done it. And I was here 10 minutes ago, and how come you haven't got your shoes on? And there was just a great deal of conflict going on. And Shirley was inadvertently falling into this trap of using anger to motivate. Folks, it is the easiest thing in the world to fall into that. I still fall into it, and I know better than that. But it's still, we get irritated, and then we get reinforced in it. It's very easy to fall into that trap. This was going on, and Shirley and I sat down and talked about it and decided there had to be an easier way to get Danae up and out without going through all that emotion. So we worked out a little system that worked out very well. We called it checkpoints. And we set it up with Danae so that she had to be out of bed, standing upright. <laughs> Didn't have to be awake, just had to be out of bed, standing upright at 6.30 in the morning. I did not say 6.31. I did not say 6.32. 6.33 would not count. It had to be before 6.30 on a digital clock hit 6.31. See, the more concrete the boundary, the better. 6.30. All right, and uh, if she went back to bed, she lost it. All right, 6.30. And if she was, she went into the kitchen and on the refrigerator was a little checkpoint chart with that date on it. And for checkpoint one, that's the first checkpoint, she either said yes or no. Couldn't be any more simple. Didn't have to ask for a judgment or a ruling. She either was out of that bed at 6.30 or she was not, yes or no. All right, then uh, she had uh, 40 minutes until 10 after 7 to have her room fixed the way she wanted it, have her teeth brushed and her hair combed and to be dressed and to be sitting down at the piano in the morning. Now, that gave her 40 minutes. She could do all of that in 10 minutes if she wanted to, and the only way she could not have it done is to not want to have it done because it's just not that much work. So she had 40 minutes to do a 10-minute job. But at 7.10, she either was or was not finished and sitting down to play the piano. And she went into the kitchen, and for the second checkpoint, she checked yes or no. That's it, yes or no. All right, it's the end of the evening, and we're evaluating the morning. 
And we look and we see, ah, checkpoint missing. What do we do? Do we get mad and scream and throw things and threaten and demand and cry and wring our hands and stomp and pound? No. All that we do is say, Danae, if you miss one checkpoint per day, you go to bed 30 minutes early tonight. And if you miss two checkpoints, you go to bed an hour early, which is a very healthy thing. If not for Danae, for Shirley and me. <laughs> you know the interesting thing? Danae loved that system. It had definite limits. And if my memory serves me right, Shirley, I think this is correct. She went four months without missing a checkpoint because she had a definite target. It just smoothed out the morning. It was no longer necessary to have that kind of struggle and that kind of fight between us. Now, you can use your creativity to find a similar kind of system which depends on action instead of anger. I might tell you that that system broke down miserably later in the year. You know why? She started missing checkpoints and we were too busy to enforce it at that time. And we started accumulating time to go to bed early and it got to where we were not delivering on the promise and it was gone. See, we collapsed on the action and a system collapsed. You've got to be willing to take some action. Anger is not necessary. It doesn't work. Now, folks, I got to tell you something. It is 940 and I've been talking for a long time. I want to know what you want because I have two more important things to say, but I only want to say them if you can tolerate it. And thank you for that outpouring of affection. <laughs> that was the weakest applause I think I ever heard. Well, all four of you stick around and we'll... Well, I'll hit it very quickly, okay? Because I talk a lot about discipline with a young child, about the importance of accepting his challenges and winning those confrontations and the punishment that sometimes goes with it, people frequently misunderstand me and believe that I take the same approach as a child goes on up the years and especially into adolescence, and I don't feel that way. You see, your job is to win those confrontations in the early years and establish yourself as the leader and then work yourself out of a job thereafter and open that hand and let your kids go. And there is some rebellion that takes place in the adolescent years that's healthy. It really ought to occur because without it, the child would go into adulthood with that mommy, daddy, little boy, little girl kind of relationship, and that's not healthy. And some of that ripping and tearing of flesh in the adolescent years is necessary. It's painful, but it's necessary. And folks, I need to know who's here. May I see the hands of those of you who consider yourself committed Christians? Oh my goodness, that's tremendous. I know it's not everybody, and I will not insult those who have the other frame of reference, but Nevertheless, I need to speak at this moment to the people who held up your hands. I really believe that Christians have a greater problem with this task of letting go than some non-Christians. And the reason is because we care so much about the outcome with our kids. Not that others don't care, 
But we are much more specific in what we care about. A lot about marriage and so that's one of the most things in my life. A lot about certain concepts of sin with our kids. And we worry a great deal of childhood that maybe we haven't done. Maybe they won't do what we want them to do. Maybe everything we've taught them will be thrown back in our faces. And there's a great deal of tension that begins to develop in late adolescence. And our tendency is to grab and hold and not allow our kids to grow up and to try to keep them from making mistakes and bail them out when they do make mistakes and to follow them around, telling them what they ought to do. And especially at the latter end of childhood, over at about 18, 19, 20 years of age, folks, you had better let go. Because if you don't, your child who has a passion to be an independent, mature adult in his own right may defy you and break all the rules you've set just to prove he's independent of you and that you can't do that to him anymore. I get a lot of mail at this time. A radio program draws 1,500 letters a month or more, and I just am drowning in the mail from people who are struggling over the... I will never know her, no doubt, but this is a very sad letter to me. She said, Dear Sir... Before I read it to you, I got to tell you something. This puts a ribbon on the whole evening, okay? And that objective of the whole evening is to shape the will without breaking the spirit. I've talked all evening about how the will is full strength at the moment of birth. You don't have to cultivate it. It is built into our nature, even in a compliant child. The will is made of steel. You can mold it. You can bend it. You've got a God-given responsibility to do so. On the other hand, the spirit is the most fragile characteristic in human nature. The spirit of a child deals with self-worth. And you can crush it when you're not even trying. You can crush it sometimes by humor in the family that goes a little bit too far. You can crush it by being so busy that he doesn't know he's loved. Anything that affects the worth of the child affects his spirit. You have to be very careful with the spirit. The will. You set up those boundaries and enforce them. You won't hurt him. Be careful what you do that says, we don't love you. We don't need you. We don't respect you. You're not included here. We wish you weren't here. Why aren't you like your brother? Why aren't you like your sister? Those things are very dangerous. This is a letter that illustrates that fact. Dear sir, more than anything else in the world... I want to have a happy family. That's the sad part because there just isn't much chance of that. We have a girl, seven years old, and a boy, ten. They don't get along at all. The boy and his father don't get along either, and I find myself screaming at the kids. Notice two messages I've been trying to convey tonight. One, her only method of discipline is screaming. And secondly, she constantly says, I don't know what to do about it. See, it's an absence of leadership. All right. And I find myself screaming at the kids and sitting on my son to keep him from hitting and kicking his sister. His teacher of the past year, your teachers will appreciate this, thought he needed to learn better ways of getting along with his classmates. And she put that nicely. That teacher went to school for five years to learn how to say that. This kid's driving her crazy, and she says he needs to learn better ways of getting along with his classmates. He had some problems on the playground, and he had a horrible time on the school bus, and he couldn't seem to be able to walk from the bus stop to our house without getting in a fight. 
or throwing rocks at somebody. So I usually pick him up and I bring him home myself. He is very bright, but he writes poorly and he hates to do it. He is impulsive and quick-tempered. We all are now. Our pediatrician says he has everything going for him. He is tall and strong, but Billy seldom finds anything constructive to do. He likes to watch television, play in the water, and dig in the dirt. He's 10 years old. We are very upset about his diet, but we haven't been able to do anything about it. He drinks milk and eats jello and crackers and toast. Now she's going to tell you what a good diet is. In the past, he ate lots of hot dogs and bologna. <laughs> but not much lately. He also craves chocolate and bubble gum. And we have a grandma nearby who sees that he gets lots of it. She also feeds him baby food. We haven't been able to do anything about that either. I wonder why not? How come? We haven't been able. There's no leadership. His teachers, neighbor children, and his sister complain about him swearing and name-calling. Whenever something is missing or broken, we immediately think of Billy. This is really a sad situation because we're always thinking of him in a bad light. But hardly a day goes by when something isn't upset or broken. He's been breaking windows since he was a toddler. One day in June, he came home early from school and found the house locked, so he threw a rock through his bedroom window, broke it, and crawled in. Another day recently, he tried to glass cut her out on our bedroom mirror. He spends a great deal of time at the grandma's who caters to him. We feel she's a bad influence. <laughs> but so are we when we are constantly upset and screaming. Anyhow, we have now what seems to be a hopeless situation. He's growing bigger and stronger, but not any wiser. So what are we to do or where are we to go? Now, get her final paragraph. My husband says he refuses to take Billy anywhere ever again until he matures and acts like a civilized human being. He has threatened to put him in a foster home. I couldn't send him to a foster home. He needs people who know what to do with him. <laughs> Please help us if you can. Yours truly, Mrs. T. P.S. Our children are adopted and there isn't much of anything left in our marriage. Now, folks, that's a very sad letter to me, and it's a frustrating letter, because it'd take me two weeks to tell that woman what that letter evokes in me. The mistakes that she has made through the years. Do you see what's actually taking place here? You understand the dynamics of it? See, what you have here is a 10-year-old strong-willed child who has never in his life been able to find one person who had the courage to accept his challenge. And that's why he is asking everybody in his life, who's in charge here? He's challenging the teacher. Boy, she doesn't know what to do. She's calling home and says he needs to learn better ways of getting along with his classmates. He's giving the bus driver fits. He can't wait to get that kid off the bus. You can bet on it. And he's throwing rocks at the other kids in the neighborhood. And he's swearing and name-calling and beating up his sister. And he comes home and he uses a glass cutter on the mirror and he's throwing rocks through the window. And he's eating poorly. You see, this is a bright child. He really is. The pediatrician said it. He's bright. He's got a lot going for him. He knows what he's doing. There's no question in his mind about what he's doing. He is asking each person in his life, won't somebody accept my challenge because there is nothing worse, there's nothing more scary 
than being 10 years old and being your own boss and not having one soul in the universe that is worthy of your respect. And he's begging somebody to accept that challenge. But nobody will. Instead, you see, he has a rampaging will. It has never been shaped. Instead, folks, what are they doing? They're directing all of their discipline at his spirit. Can't you hear this father say, why don't you grow up and act like a civilized human being? Well, I'll put you in a foster home. I'm not sure you belong here anyway. I'm not ever going to take you anywhere anymore. You embarrass me. Why can't you be like the other kids in the family? Do you get the message of what that father is really saying? Did you get the, the PS at the end? See, our children are adopted and there isn't much of anything left in our marriage. Do you know what that father is saying? We didn't have to take you anyway. See, we didn't have to adopt you. You weren't born to us. I'm not sure you belong here anyway. And if you don't watch out, big shot, we're going to get rid of you. See, that has nothing to do with his will. That does not help with the will at all. What it does, it assassinates the spirit. And that's why that boy is so angry. That's why he's so mad. That's why he's challenging everybody. He can't find anybody that cares enough about him, that loves him, that'll set up reasonable boundaries and help shape his will. Instead, they have crushed his spirit. I want to tell you all that I really wish, you may find this hard to believe, I really wish if circumstances were a little different, that I could have Billy in my home for a short time. When I said if circumstances were a little different, I meant if I wasn't married to Shirley. Because um, that probably wouldn't work out under present circumstances. But I'd like to have a shot at him. I would really like to have him for a short time. And I would give him a little message. When he walked through that front door, before he unpacked his suitcase, there's some things I'd like to say to him. And I'd say it with all the emotion that was in me. I'd say, Billy... Come on into the family room, some things we need to talk about. I want you to look me in the eye, Billy, because I am about to say the most important thing you have ever heard in your life, and I hope you never forget it. And you're going to find out someday that I mean it. First of all, Billy, I want you to know I love you. You are important to me. I would not have brought you here if it were not true. I didn't have to bring you to this home. I brought you here because you have an eternal soul and you're going to live someplace in eternity. And that makes you important to God and that makes you important to me. And you're going to find out as time goes on that it's for real. I really do care about you. And because of that, Billy, I will not treat you different from my other children. You'll have the same privileges, the same respect. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what you're saying. I want to know what you're feeling. You can sit down and talk to me, and if you feel I've been unfair, I'll listen to you. And Billy, it's going to be a good year, and I'm glad you're here. But there's something else that you should know. In fact, I really think you already know it. You see, you've been behaving in ways that have been very harmful to you, Billy. Not only harmful to you, but to other people. See, you've been breaking windows, and you've been eating poorly. You haven't been studying in school. You're failing there. And you've been getting in trouble at school, and you've been giving your sister a hard time. And we both know what's going on. I know the background, and you do too. And I know you're not impressed with that, and I'm not impressed with it either. And that's why, Billy, we're going to change it. We're going to change it because I care enough about you to help you change it. 
I know that's what you want too. And so, Billy, now listen to me. This is very important. I'm going to make it very, very clear what I expect of you. There won't be any doubt. We're going to write it down, exactly what I expect. And it's going to be highly specific and pretty tight. You may find it kind of difficult to stay within those boundaries. But it'll be the same boundaries my own children stay within. And we'll make it clear. Now, Billy, there will be times when you will accidentally break a rule or something. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about your accidents and mistakes. But, Billy, if the chances prove accurate, it is highly likely that in four or five days or maybe a week or two, you're going to ask yourself, what will he do if I don't do what he tells me to do? And, Billy, that moment will probably come, and you'll deliberately, on purpose, break one of these rules. Not because you forgot, but on purpose. Now, Billy, listen to me. When that happens, I want you to know now that I'm going to bust you. I'm going to lay awake nights thinking up ways to make you miserable. Why? Because I don't love you? No, because I do love you. The easiest thing would be to just let you go on. But I won't do that. You're too important to let you go on. We're going to change this thing, and the two of us together are going to make it. Anything you need to say to me? If not, let's get on with it. You know what I found? Delinquents cannot tolerate that combination of love and discipline. Firm limits administered with love, where the spirit has a chance to grow, where self-worth has a chance to flower, and where the will begins to be shaped. See, the will and the spirit are two different things. We had a man out there in Los Angeles about three months ago who climbed up on the top of a building to jump off. And the police department and about a hundred rescue people and everybody, my aunt lives in that building and she told me the whole story, came to save him. He was a man whose spirit was crushed. He had no worth. He didn't even want to live. Finally, they managed to crawl out there and they grabbed him and pulled him to safety and took him off and booked him and he was going to get some psychiatric help or something. But his mother, and I would imagine his mother had always behaved this way, came down in some indignation and bailed him out. He went straight back to that building up to the 32nd floor and jumped off the building and killed himself in front of my relatives and other people. See what he did? His spirit was crushed, but his will was strong enough to defy the whole city. Army, Navy, Fire Department, police, everybody, rescue. His spirit was crushed. What we need to do is shape the will without breaking the spirit. You are a fantastic audience. I have held you far too long. I love you. I look forward to tomorrow. Thank you for being here. Testing, are we on? Okay. You can get the pulpit up here real quick, guys. Oh, that was a pretty heavy story at the end. All right, let's... Uh, 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 raise uh, some important uh, issues um, and so uh, one thing that he did say that uh, we need to be reminded of especially with you with uh, smaller children or maybe you're a young person and you haven't started your family yet and that is win these battles right now while they're young you know when your children are small I, I mean I don't believe in, in spanking babies you know, uh, but but uh, when your children begin to exercise uh, their will 
it's very important that you win this battle and engage it. A lot of times, you know, children can seem so adorable uh, that we think they're little angels and they're not little angels. They're, uh, anyway, they can be other things. And, and if you have to be able to begin this process of them understanding your authority and teaching them the boundaries. And, you know, next week we're going to start on the strong-willed child. But uh, this, this issue of, of winning this battle uh, when they're young, because so many times uh, what happens with uh, parents is they, they put it off. And they put it off. And slowly but surely, their, 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 their small three-, four-year-old uh, begins to get more and more dominion. And what happens is then, now, when you begin to try to establish these rules, you get a bigger blowback. You get a greater level of defiance. And so now you don't want to mess with it, so you put it off till they're older. And all you're ensuring is it's going to be a more difficult process. And so take advantage of it being small, of them being small, to establish uh, uh, these boundaries in their life, and, and this is very, very important. Okay, let me, uh, Brent, the, the, uh, the Lego story. Somebody sent me this. Uh, I think Marcus sent it to me as a school teacher. He's more sensitive to these issues. Uh, and so uh, what you're looking at there, that's a Lego. This guy spent, you can amount how many hours, how many hours, they, it was worth $15,000 that is made completely of Legos. Now, I don't know who that is. I don't know if that's some sort of a, a, a cartoon character or whatever, or whatever it is. So I'll go to the next picture. This was at a children's uh, uh, museum in China. He set this up as a display. They opened the door, and within one hour, a kid destroyed it. $15,000 countless hours and hours and hours of work destroyed by one unruly child in less than an hour. So, it's good to teach them boundaries. It is good to establish that. Uh, I, I, I'm up here, I see you're smirking right there, you know. But it, you, you teach them this. You, you love them. Tremendous humiliation. Uh, the parents wanted to pay, offered to pay. Uh, the the, the, the uh, artists, I don't know if you call people who make Legos artists, but, the, but the, uh, the guy refused it, told the parents not to worry about it. Uh, but, but, you know, humiliation. This out-of-control child who, who has no boundaries. Do you see what I see? I see red ropes right there, which means stay away. But what, what do you look at? You're looking at a child that has not been taught boundaries. That, that has, and, and because the way you teach boundaries is you have to bring consequence. You cross the line, you trespass against the boundary, there's going to be punishment. If you don't bring yourself to do that, if you don't employ that method when they're two years old and they're three years old, 
when they cross the boundary that there's an immediate consequence. You'll spank them and they'll cry. They'll get mad. They'll do everything else. It'll ruin the day. You know, it'll change your plans. You have to focus all your attention on this child and make sure that you stand your ground and they learn to respect. You, You don't do that. That's what you get. Down the road, the Bible says that an undisciplined child brings shame to the parents because they get a little older and then they do things that are become worldwide news. And I don't know what this child looks like, but there's an assumption that's made about the child then about the parent. And so what happened? Because the parents, when they're little, will not pay the price of establishing respect for boundaries you can't just let them run loose you just can't let them run wild you can't do and it and it's messy it's difficult but it is necessary to establishing their welfare and you win this battle right now if you have small children make a commitment to say we're going to attend to this and you're going to have to do this every day i promise you if you do this consistently they will learn to live successfully within the boundaries and you won't be fighting this battle at eight or nine it won't be this kind of issue and and oftentimes it's because we do not set it up when they're small and establish this okay i'm going to open it up right here uh, on this subject before i move on okay i pastor aguilar and is that tina is that you okay You know, it's funny because, you know, we have our little baby, baby, but the one right above her is Eliana, and that's the one we're really still trying to, you know, work on. She's getting up there. The rest we can kind of talk to and they'll listen. But uh, what Eliana, she, when I'm driving, she likes to unbuckle her, her seat in the car. And she's at that age where she's able to unbuckle, and so she comes up. And we're always sit down, sit down. So I start to, you know, get after her for that. And so... Um, the other day, you know, she got up and she does it so slickly. Like, I don't even realize she's out of her seat. She, hey, dad, I love you. And she gives me a kiss. I'm like, oh, I love you too. And it takes me a little while to realize, wait a minute. Hey, get, sit down, buckle up. What are you doing? You know, and I'm just, so she gets back up and she comes and gives me another kiss later on. So I, and then I start to snap. Like, she's so slick. So I said, hey, um, I love you too, Ellie. She's like, I love you, dad. Well, give me a hug. Give me a hug. Okay. And I said, hey, you love me? She's like, yes, sir. I love you, dad. I said, okay, give me another kiss. So I'm buttering her up. Okay, okay, so I need you to go sit down, buckle up, or I'm going to spank your butt this time. And she kind of was like, whoa, he went from, like, love to, like, hate. And so she, but it was so weird. She looked at me like, how do I, okay, so she just goes and buckles up, and she hasn't gotten out since. It's like, you know, every now when I go, hey, I love you, but you're going to be better buckle up. Do you understand? Yes, sir. And so she's been, but it's just cool, just, like, kind of just the strategy or the, you know, not having to yell at the kids or little things like that. I remember one time uh, Raquel, when she was little, that, and uh, Raquel was more like the next video, and um, she uh, 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 would uh, sometimes stand up, and uh, one time she was with me, and she, she stood up, and I got pulled over. A cop, there reason the lights came on right at that moment. <laughs> and I, I, I got pulled over. And I was ticked. And, uh, and, and I said, you know what, Raquel? I got to pull this cop. And, and, and so I was like, take her in, you know. 
And so this cop pulls me over, and I'm like, you know what, officer? I've told her to stay in her, in her seatbelt. I don't know why she did that. And the officer, sir, calm down. Sir, calm down. You know, he got all, you know, you know and, uh, and uh, he was, and so anyway, I think he feared for her life, so he didn't give me a ticket or anything like that. Anyway, I, I had that flashback right now, you know. <laughs> Tina. Yeah, um, classroom management, um, going through that training is a lot like uh, your home, your children. Um, They tell you that like the first week is the most important to establish those boundaries and those procedures and stuff. And so some teachers will look at that like, you know, you're wasting your time. That's a whole week that you can be doing instruction, you know, and teaching and all the, you know, whatever. But you're really not wasting that time that first week that you're practicing those procedures and practicing, you know, over and over again, you're establishing, like you're saying, that investment just for that first week. And so relating that to your children, it's really that first five years that it's only five years out of the whole life. You know, sure, there's more that you're going to have to follow up on, but those first five years is your investment to establish those boundaries, establish those standards, work with them, work with them, work with them. And you might you know, you don't want to jump into your classroom the first day and just start yelling and, you know, doing all this stuff, getting, you know, you've got to practice those procedures so that the rest of your year will go smoothly, you know, somewhat. Um, but yeah, this those first five years of your, your children's life too. You're going to have to really invest and, and take that time and just keep telling yourself, it's only five years, it's only five years, yes. you know, that there is uh, that worth to that investment in establishing that, and later on, it, it just pays off so much better. Yes, amen, and so take this from people who have are, are, are their children, you know, have raised their children, if you're younger, because I'm emphasizing at this point, younger families, it is worth it, remember this, it is worth it to attend to this and can understand that this stage of their life, these early years of establishing boundaries of respect, authority, putting that in a child right now, you are going to save yourself some grief down the road by, by establishing these things. Remember, not anger. We talked about that we're not, not anger or acting out of anger assassinates your authority. It delegitimizes you the same way if a police officer pulled you over for speeding and then dragged you out of your car and beat you. It delegitimizes what you're doing. This has nothing to do with anger. If you're, you are disciplining or feel like you pull your kid aside and just yell at him and ream, you are losing the battle. You are sending the wrong signal. You will have a child who will openly rebel against you and will not have the ability to exercise self-control. That's what you're going to produce. But if you will be consistent and establish this respect for authority in them, you will see it. You'll see it because their first grade teacher or second will, will come back to you because teachers today especially are dealing with so many unruly and undisciplined children. I'm not against homeschooling. I think if you think that you can educate your child that way, and you, I'm all for it. But if the only reason you're homeschooling is because your son or daughter is out of control at school, then you have a problem. 
That's not the school and, and humanism and everything else. That's because your child hasn't learned how to function within boundaries. And that's your responsibility. You start them small, you establish these, and you stay with it. You don't give in. The Bible says, don't give in because of their crying. Okay, you're going to be in bed. This is what it is. They're crying and everything. You, you teach them. You're not giving in because if, they, if I cry loud enough and long enough, mom or dad are going to come in here and pick me up. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to cry long enough and loud enough. They're going to do everything that they can in order to have their way. And so establish this right now. Boundaries. Remember, it's not out of emotion. There has to be consistency. Meaning, if the boundary was here today, it has to be here tomorrow. Or they do not understand. They have to know this is the boundary and stay committed to it. If you will do this right now when they're small and you will stay with it, you will find that you'll have functional children. These children will thrive within the boundaries of life. You're saving them from all the grief of living outside the margins and all the things that will come to them by paying the price. And you do have to pay the price. There's no way around it. Nobody likes to see their child cry. Nobody likes to see their children upset. Nobody likes to uh, have to deal with all of that. But you must win this battle and you must win it right now. Okay? I'm going to do something. I see all your hands. But uh, I want you to put up this, uh, this second thing. Okay. Can you read this? Okay, I, I always get asked this question, and, I, and so uh, uh, Jerry uh, gave this to me, Jerry Hamper, one of our policemen, and uh, it's too bad because it's, it's just too much. There's no way to zoom that, Brent, or anything like that. Okay, it's the Texas Penal Code, and uh, Pastor Agatha, I run to my desk and get the, um, it's on my desk. Well, I, I, don't, I don't even think that will help. I'm wearing glasses, and I can't see it. But what I want you to see is what the law is, because there are all sorts of people that hear you hear all sorts of things about what is legal. Is it even legal to spank your children? In the European community right now, uh, they've outlawed all spanking. It is against the law to discipline your child. If America doesn't watch it, this is what we're going to be pretty soon. I remember reading about a, 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 a politician in California that tried to pass a law against uh, any kind of corporal punishment for children uh, and the article went on to say that he had no kids and uh, you know there is uh, but here's the Texas law as our uh, trusted uh, uh, advisor is coming up okay so I'll read this to you, and I'll give you a copy. If you're interested in this, I'll give you a copy. Don't send your son or daughter to pick it up. You, you need to get it. Okay, so Texas Penal Code, Chapter 9, Subchapter F, Special Relationships, Section 9.61, Parent-Child. Now listen, this is the law in Texas. The use of force, but not deadly force, against a child younger than 18 is justified if the actor is the child's parent or step-parent or is acting in local parentis to the child, which means that you are acting as their guardian, and when and to the degree the actor reasonably believes the force is necessary to discipline the child or to safeguard or promote his welfare. 
And that's the state law. So uh, uh, over the years, uh, you have, uh, you know, from time to time, you know, uh, uh, a well-meaning, and I say that in parentheses or in quotations, uh, you know, a relative who doesn't believe in spanking, and then you're at some family gathering, and they see you, you know, a swat your, your misbehaving child, and then they call Child Protective Services. I've, we've had that happen. Uh, several times uh, I've been contacted by Child Protective Services, and, um, uh, you know, let me just say this to you. These folks try to do their job, but every single day, if all you do is take out garbage, you're going to start thinking the whole world is garbage. And many times people who are drawn to this kind of work are drawn there because they have a, their own personal experience with this, and they tend to bring that into it. So that even just somebody with a, with a uh, discipline their child and somebody complains, and they come, and, uh, and many times their, their method of approach is, we're not sure, we're going to investigate, and for now we're going to take your children and have them stay with a relative. Absolutely not. You do not let people tell you they're going to take you. You have the law here. And the law says that you have the, the, the legal right to exercise corporal punishment over your child. Okay? And so it's very important that you have a legal right to do it. I'm a pastor. I'm not a lawyer. I stand by the Bible. You have a moral obligation to discipline your children. And I'm, I'm concerned because I've seen people who've grown up good parents who disciplined them now they're older and they have a child and they say I don't care what anybody says I'm not disciplining my child and they absolutely are convinced this is an act of love when it's really an act of selfishness because they do not want to have to deal with the responsibility and so this is what the Bible says that there is an obligation to discipline children to establish boundaries, to preserve them, and to create a clear line of obedience in their life because they have a sinful nature, just like you and I. And if that nature is allowed to run wild, it's going to cause them great grief. The state of Texas still says this is accepted behavior, that this can happen. I'm not even, I don't have time to go into it, but it even says that the, the uh, educator has the right to discipline a child you know I, I i'll tell you what i went to school they could spank the kids you, did you hear that you hear that response that's because many of them got whooped when they were when they were by in teacher but, but they did and so you don't even think about that today what do we see we see the little video clip of the uh, out of control security guard grabbing the kid and that makes, goes viral, that makes the news and reinforces the idea that you can't touch these kids. So what do they do? As soon as there's any time, they, everybody's out with their phone. Some parent's going to make some money on a lawsuit. So this is what we're up against. So there, you should establish this. This is something that is important and necessary. And you take away corporal punishment, you take away discipline, then I guess what, in 15 years, you're going to have a mob you're going to have an entire generation of young people that never been taught the boundaries to be respected. And now, uh, because a parent will not pay the price in those first five years of a child's life, now it's left to the teacher, it's left to the, to the, uh, to the Sunday school teacher, it's left to society 
to have to now establish those boundaries. Okay. All right, I see your hands, but I got to move on. Let's move on to the next thought here. What a powerful statement he made then about how Christian parents have the most difficult time letting their kids grow up. That Christian parents have the most difficult time letting their kids grow up. And because there's such a concern, many times we don't want them to make the mistakes that we make. Our congregation here is made up of converts, people who came to Jesus as converts. In other words, they weren't raised in Christianity. They weren't raised in the church. And as a result, a lot of us got into sin. And so we're like, I don't want my son or daughter to have to be a drug addict or an alcoholic or have to have done time or have to have done this or that before they become a Christian. We want to save them from the heartbreaks and curses and all the things that we experienced in our life and and so we know what they want and so what what that translates to is that we discipline them we establish boundaries we're we're very invested in their life more so than many parents and 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 they're coming on through and that's great but as they begin to reach into adolescence and they begin to grow independent now it's like instead of at that moment saying okay you know they're we got to put them in the little boat like moses mother and drop them in the river we're not we're jumping in the boat with them and we get out of the way I'll take the paddle here and we start having this this incredible anxiety about the welfare of our children once they hit their teenage years and not understanding that it's designed by God to let them grow in independence and like a kite you release the string and then one day you take a scissor and cut the string and they're going to fly Instead, it's, no, 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 I'm going to be more on top of you now when you're 13 and 14. Well, I'm going to be more on top of you. I'm going to be in your face, and you are not going to do this. And this begins to cause a real problem because we know and we've seen and we see bad decisions and all that. And our greatest fear is that our son or daughter is not going to live for God they're going to make poor choices in life. They're going to complicate their life. Uh, and even if they come around, uh, they're going to come around with all this baggage and on and on and on. And, and this stuff becomes a big issue. And I, I mean, I, I, thought, I admired uh, Dr. Dobson had the insight to address this because this is a real problem. And that is it becomes counterproductive. At some point, your son or daughter is going to make their own choices in life. I guarantee it. And you want them to make good choices. You want them to serve God. You want, uh, we understand that, but for good or for bad, it's their choice and not yours. You can't, you, you, know, I, I, you know, one of the things that we pass through is, you know, we raise our children, now they're going to get married, and we're all heavily involved in their courtship and, and on and on. And I always ask the same question. How involved were your parents when you got married? Well, they weren't saved. I'm saved. But if you think back to how little you were involved, you realize how little influence you have. 
You can guide, you can steer, you can do your job. If you're the father, you should be involved in helping your daughter there and, and, and all that. But at some point, you got to remember how little your parents were involved and that you've got to realize that you provide some guidelines, but this idea that you're going to, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And what ends up happening is you find that your son or daughter put in them by God a desire to be a functioning, independent human being begins to jerk at your, at your uh, ability to try to exercise some hegemony over their lives. And they, next thing you know, they're just a rebellious son. You're just a rebellious daughter. When in fact, God created them that you've established boundaries, you've taught them, and now they're going to go on and they're going to have to make their own way. And you do not want them making choices simply to defy you to make a statement I'm my own man or I'm my own woman and that's what I, I'm just I'm just proving this to you and so I'm going to defy you you want me to go east I'm going to go west just to prove to you that I can do it okay very quickly on that subject right here all right Sammy good to see you back from Belize Sammy right here How old are you? 16. You're going to tell us about it. teenage children. All right. Actually, no, I want to tell you what it's like for, from my perspective of seeing how my parents, how I can appreciate when they discipline me. How uh, everything you're saying is just, uh, just right on how when, when, they sh when you show your teenager why, why you do it, it's like why you love them, there's no resentment involved. Okay. I was like that for, I just like what you said. I, like, I can appreciate when, when what my parents said, like my daddy told me, when you're 17 or 18, you can go to jail. I won't bail you out. You do something stupid, but it's your own fault. And so, yeah, and Sammy, you don't want to go to a Belizean jail, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he basically told me something, he basically told me something similar. He said, you want to, uh, I'm, I'm releasing you. You, you. Whether or not you serve God is nothing I do. You're going to have to have your own relationship with God. I'm not going to force you. I don't want you to serve God because of me. Basically, he basically told me that, um, that he basically gave me the responsibility of being able to uh, have my own personal relationship with God. And that the decisions I make, that he leaves them up to, up to me. He, he, he allows me to make decisions whether or not I'm going to obey what he says. Yes. And so that, I know that has really helped me understand and appreciate uh, what, what, what Dr. Dobson was talking about. You know, the discipline there has to be a time when you release your, your child. Okay, very good. All right, uh, let's see, Ray Fallon. Go back to the, that homeschool thing. Real quick, Ray. Okay, real quick. Um, I think it is really, really important uh, for parents of homeschool teachers to understand this. I had an, a privilege to help my wife in a practicum, and uh, it's to get uh, people interested in classical conversations, uh, which is a, a homeschool curriculum. And so me and my wife, we had about, about 24 kids. And we have this mentality that if they stay home, we can do a much better job than the school can. But when I was in that schoolroom, I had 24 kids. And they were unruly. They didn't listen. They didn't pay attention. And all of a sudden, I had this thought. I said, you know what? I said, if, if, if these kids are in an environment 
where they're all day long with one parent that if they're not disciplining them, they're going to let that kid go out. We're there just for maybe three days. And we had such a hard time. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do your work. And some of them didn't even do their work. And so if they don't get this, they're, they're, they have their kid all day long without discipline, and then they're going to let them out in the world like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very important to understand. I'm not saying that it's bad, it's, yeah. but I'm just saying that it, this, is, this is very critical to understand. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, you know, we could spend a lot of time just, maybe we'll take a little, uh, an extra week just to talk about this, but yeah, absolutely, uh, homeschooling, uh, my observation uh, from, from my vantage point, plus the fact that my, I, my daughter, we homeschooled her, her sixth grade year, uh, and she did, she did, you know, tremendous. Uh, and so it works, but unless there's structure and discipline in it, then you end up producing these two extremes. One is the smartest kids in America are homeschoolers. All the, they win all the spelling bees and everything else. But then the lowest end are kids that basically stayed at home and didn't learn a thing because nobody taught them. So I'm glad that our state uh, makes room for that, but it's definitely not a cure-all, and, and so you can uh, remember that. So uh, they're younger, first five years, put, pay the price of establishing the boundaries. As they get older now, the last few years, respect their independence. I'll just quote one scripture, Ezekiel 18, it says uh, that uh, the, uh, uh, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge is uh, a, a, a mindset that had gripped hold of a generation that basically said, I am the way I am and it's my parents' fault. And God said, no more. And I'll tell you something about releasing children into adult life and not trying to, you know, parent them through their, their adult years is that when it's all said and done, people make their own decisions. And, uh, and you have to be able to say, I've done what I could, but they're making their own decisions, and that's it. It's no longer my responsibility. It's their responsibility. The longer they have, you are over them, trying to guide them, trying to do everything, then they, they never take responsibility. They keep somehow thinking it's you, for good or for bad. You do it, they get older, they'll call you. They'll want advice. They'll want to know about life. But you're no longer there, you know, trying to mother them or father them and trying to control them. Do it when they're young and then let them go when they're old. Okay, we got to stop next week, the strong-willed child.